18 without uh, looking at it what is verse 9 does anybody remember verse 9 what do you think success no that's not it no Oh wait, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said it. What is it? The hardest to see all. Yep. Yep. Six and seven are outstanding. All right. Well, we expect you to comment on those. So yeah, Connie got it. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That is. Uh, Maybe not our favorite verse, but it's a famous one. So, and uh, chapter seventeen is Connie's favorite chapter. It is. It is. Yes, and of the whole Bible. No, but oh. of, Jeremiah. of Jeremiah. Well, some of them. Well, good. Well, hopefully we hit on things that are relevant to you uh, this morning. You feel free to. I'm glad you're here, Connie. We miss you when you're not. So. These first four verses, if Connie, if you'll just read those first four verses for us. The sin of Judah is written with a pan of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their hearts and upon the horns of your altars. While as their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees of my mountain, O my mountain in the field, I will give thy sons and all thy treasures to, to the spoil. And thy high places for sin throughout all thy borders. And thou, even thyself, shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I give thee. And I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in thy land which thou knowest not. For ye have kindled the fire in my anger, which shall burn forever. Yeah, and uh, the little commentary I read talked about Judah's indelible sin. And have you ever heard that word indelible? You, you, an ink pen has indelible ink, like it doesn't wash off. And that's kind of so. That's kind of what I I, I got that title out of uh, a commentary. Judah's in te- indelible sin. <clears throat> and uh, w- one thing I've read about Jeremiah, <clears throat> the book of Jeremiah, and I don't know. Uh, this is today is the first time that I feel like I've witnessed it, but they say that Jeremiah is not written chronologically. Yeah, I, I do know, like Jeremiah one, he's called from his mother's womb, and it has his calling to to uh, pluck up and tear down and cast out and to build and to plant. So he kind of gets his, but. Uh, I think just from studying this that because uh, it seemed like last week the enemy's knocking on the door and I feel like and I, I don't know I can't think of a good example in a movie but sometimes you know it'll give you flashbacks from things that happened earlier and I, I th- feel like Jeremiah 17 is a little bit like that that the writer kind of steps back and talks about things that have happened to get to where they're at is kind of what I feel. So uh, has anybody ever heard of like the Oriental mindset? Uh, Anyway, uh, it's circular. Well, it's circular in this. It kind of has like a, you know, in America, we think left to right. That's how we, we, we think that well, that's called linear. We think linear. And uh, but the Oriental 
is is more like they have a central topic and they might talk about that topic here and they might talk about it here but not in chronological order if that makes sense um, I don't fully understand it but I, I believe in so the Bible is written chronologic or the Bible is written dispensationally not chronologically because uh, Job is really the first book book written historically but it didn't occur before Genesis 1-1 but Job lived before Moses if that makes sense and so there's things like that but God put the placement in in the order so uh, sometimes we have to maybe think differently than we're used to but here Jeremiah is talking about Uh, your very first blank was just the word sin Judah has this stony heart that's engraven with sin that's what it says there that uh, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron so you can just picture like a hammer hitting do you know I actually and my wife will be mad right now (laughs) I actually dated a girl whose last name was Stone and so I, uh, I tried to make something for her and her family out of a, these rocks. And I, I drilled down in and I put some iron in there and I wrote the stones. And then I tried to have a, a little stone for each of the children. And, uh, but, but I had to try to dig and, and chisel and drill into a, you know, just a rock like out in the field. And it's incredibly hard to do. I forget kind of how, I mean, I'm sure I had to get a masonry bit. and But anyway, um, that's kind of what I, I picture here, thinking about my old girlfriend here. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I just now thought of that. I didn't think of that before just now. But um, anyway, so it even mentions the word diamond. And you don't, you don't think about uh, people that long ago working with diamond but he you know it's kind of notable that it takes a diamond tip uh to this day uh at our at our company they buy like slate countertops to do their chemistry on because chemicals will you can't really use like formica like that table there chemicals would tear that up and so they they use real hard slate countertops where I work, and we have to drill through them sometimes. So we have diamond tipped uh, hole saws, and uh, we you know sometimes they have to run tubes through the countertop to something down below. And so uh, we still use diamond tip drilling on stone today. And so that's what the Lord's saying that that, that their sin is so sunken into their 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 heart must be hard because it's taken this this uh, iron and diamond to penetrate it and uh, then it mentions this thing about altars and your your letter b there uh, josiah had tore down just a few years earlier josiah had torn down some of the pagan altars and evidently these uh, disobedient children of judah they had rebuilt some of the altars and it talks about in verse 2 their children remembered their altars and their groves by the green trees by upon the high hills and so uh, this mountain here in verse 3, O my mountain in the field, who knows what 
uh, mountain Jerusalem is built on. Moriah? Give me some water. That's really, really close because uh, Mount Moriah is just outside of Jerusalem. <clears throat> it's part of this mountain. There's there's three or four mountains there. There's the Mount of Olives. It's right outside Jerusalem. Who said that? You did. Mount Zion. That is exactly right. So Mount Zion is kind of where the Temple Mount is. And Mount Moriah is right beside it. Uh, so you're real close, Pam. And uh, it's funny because when, uh, when Abraham offered up Isaac, it says uh, he offered him up on the mount mountains, plural, of Moriah. And so Solomon attempted to build his temple on the mountain where Abraham had offered Isaac. And so th- these things are a little bit controversial to this day <clears throat> because, uh, you know, Zion is a reference to Jerusalem. You've heard of Zionism where the Jews are coming back to Israel. And um, in fact, hold your place here. Be looking over at Hebrews. I want you to see this. But uh, so some people think that I believe I believe I'm saying this right that Mount Moriah. See, I, I when I was in Israel, it's a little bit confusing because the Temple Mount is right there, and uh, just right outside the wall is called the City of David. I mean, you can throw a rock between them; they're that close, and. And so some people think that the third temple needs to be built on the Temple Mount. Some believe it needs to be built in the city of David, which is Mount Moriah. Uh, so that there's kind of, and they're really close to. So some people say, well, the third temple could be built while the Dome of the Rock is still there. But the Jews, because I asked the question to our tour guy, they they think the Jews want it to be where the Dome of the Rock is now. So that's the controversy. And uh, anyway, uh, I could give you some more on that, but uh, let's all look at Hebrews. Uh, In fact, I'm not there. Can somebody read 1222? 1222, this is a reference to Zion. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, Zion, which unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Yeah, so that that's the promise that uh, Abraham and they were looking for this city, the uh, and and so that's saying the the heavenly Mount Zion that uh, or heavenly Zion, and uh, the spelling I think is different just because I think the S I O N is more the the Greek rendering of the word and and the uh, Z I O N is more the Hebrew word I think is. The difference. So Zion's what goes in your blank. It's uh, the word Zion means a lofty or parched place, a sunny place, or a sunny mountain. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> anyway, that's what the word means. <clears throat> and so this verse is telling us that the spoil of the war is going to be God's mountain, Mount Zion. So it's saying that in verse 3 that Babylon is going to take all thy treasures to the spoil and thy high places for sin throughout all thy borders. So he's prophesying that Babylon is going to 
capture Jerusalem, the, oh my mountain. And then uh, I thought this was interesting. At the end of verse 4, God is saying that ye have kindled a fire in mine anger which shall burn forever. And uh, you, you think about that. Uh, well, just read my teaching point there. Although Judah's sins were permanently graving in their, in their heart and it kindled God's fire, uh, God's anger forever, He promises to remove them as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more. So, it's not really a contradiction because uh, their sin does anger him, but uh, he does promise to remove their sins and our sins. As and why do you think he mentions the e- as far as the east is from the west? Why do you think he says it like that? Because no, no matter what you do, the east never leaves the west. That's it. That's it. Tom got it. Uh, that's a terrible earth. Um, but if uh, if you start out traveling westward and you circle the globe and you come back around, you're still going west. You're always going west. But if if you were to go if you were to head south eventually on the back side you'd be heading north again do you ever think about that so if you come so it's just, anyway just the wording of the bible is so good it, god didn't say he's going to remove our sins as far as the south is from the north because if you go south long enough you're going to be heading north isn't that kind of cool but he says it's as far as the east is from the west. You'll never get there. You're always going west. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> anyway, God promises that he'll remember their sins no more, even though that they kindled this anger that's going to burn forever. So anyway, just uh, kind of some cool thoughts there, the first four verses. And then uh, in verses 5 and 6, he gives some characteristics of a cursed person. Uh, Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh his arm, his flesh his, maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. And then it says, For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. So this cursed man, he trusts in his, his. He trusts in man. He makes flesh his arm, and uh, his arm represents his strength or his trust, and his depart. His heart is departed from the Lord. And then verses seven and eight tells about a blessed man. Verse seven: Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. And it says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding a fruit. Amen on that one. You like that one? And you know, if you've ever... Uh, 
if you've ever seen like top, topographical maps like from satellites, uh, I seen this of the Nile River once. You know, all of Egypt is just desert except for where the Nile River is. Everything's green there, and you you can see it from outer space. And so, just God is comparing this: the man that trusts his, trusts in man or his own flesh, he's going to be like this parched desert uh, in the wilderness. Uh, but the blessed man is going to be like a tree planted. Uh, he's going to have fruit, isn't he? He's going to grow. He's going to be uh, have have good uh, good life. What are you thinking on that, uh, Connie? Anything else? Focusing on who are you trusting? Uh huh. Where are you looking? Uh huh. Living for. What is all? What's in your heart? Because you know, a nine says the heart is deceitful above all things. But where did you put your heart? Was you in five and six, or was you in seven and eight? Yeah, good. Preach that. So, what what are you looking for? What uh, we all desire to be like the tree by the waters and we, we know the waters a type of the word of God and and people are like trees so they receive their nourishment from um, from, from the water and it talks about her roots let's let's all uh, look at Psalm chapter 1 I gave there's several references to these things but Psalm chapter 1 is the probably the most famous the very the very first chapter Psalm 1 and let's just read the first three verses Connie you want to read those again blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of the sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doeth he meditate day and night and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season and his leaf also and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper Amen so we all want to prosper. We, uh, but this is the person who his, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates uh, in it day and night. And this is what he li- he's like. Um, and he he doesn't wither, and he does prosper, and he is blessed. That that's what that first verse is. Blessed is the man that we we all want to be happy or blessed. And we were blessed if we avoid these type of people and instead we delight in the law of the Lord. And so that's what Jeremiah is talking about. There's other places in the Bible that talks about that, that uh, by having fruit, by trusting in the Lord as he's our source of life. And I heard it said one time that uh, God is the source, not a resource. I thought that was pretty good. In other words, we don't just go to him when we need a resource but he is our source he's not just a resource Uh, resource kind of implies one among many resources that you might have but instead he is the source of life and hope and blessing and anyway those are there's some others there that I gave you I don't think we'll 
Uh, oh, I, I did think in the teaching point, let, let's look at this one, uh, Revelation 22.2, talking about the tree of life. That's what I think, I think that's what Jeremiah had in mind is this tree of life in Revelation 22.2. Would someone else uh, read that for us? Maybe verses 1 and 2. You got it, Angie? And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, bearing twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Yeah, so my teaching point there is that we have the opportunity to be like the tree of life. And, you know, people are nourished from this tree. And so I think you can see the, the example of, of uh, ministry there even as we, as we minister to others. If we're not planted by the river, if we don't have anything to give out, then it's because we're not taking in the nutrients. They say that... Um, I'm trying to think... You know, nursing mothers, people who are nursing babies, I think they have to eat 50% more calories than they would for themselves. So if you're on 2,000 a day calories, you need 3,000 if you're nursing a child. Because, And so uh, if you're involved in ministry, we should be you know, eating enough for ourselves and enough to give out to others. So there's just uh, really... God's truths are everywhere. So this, uh, there's a river of pure water that flows out of the throne of the God and the Lamb. And uh, it's hard to even picture that, this throne with water coming out of it. Excuse me, living water. And uh, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side, so it's like the trees on both sides of the river. So anyway, it's pretty uh, amazing to see that or think about that, isn't it? And it's yielding fruit every month. And the leaves were for the healing of the nation. So anyway, any other thoughts of those verses before we get into verse 9? I'm just, I I just, my mind is stuck here in these first eight verses Mm. because... That we're ministers of reconciliation, and when we work to work with people, we have to know where their hope comes from. Mm. Uh, is their hope coming from their substance, from man, from huh. their money? Is their hope coming from God? And so, when I say I'm a hope dealer, mm. I have hope and my hope is is just like the oracle here from Jeremiah one today. And so uh. but we have to we can't just agree with someone that, oh good you have hope, good you have hope. If you hmm. don't know in your heart that their hope is coming from the right place. So that's kind of where you start when you have people when you're gonna start working with someone in recovery or when you're recovering from sin yourself. Where is my hope coming from right now? Mm. You know, is it coming from my sin? Is it, is it coming from the Word of God? 
Amen. And you're making me think, uh, one of the ladies you're writing to, I've got a letter for you, Pam. And I've had it for two weeks, so I'm kind of feeling bad about that. Um, He wasn't thinking about your ex-girlfriend, your wife was (laughs) idiot. Oh my goodness. I'm glad the people on the thing are not listening right now. There's an invoice for you. Uh, Pam, can you come grab this real quick? This is exciting. She'll be, I believe she'll be with us. I think she's got like three or four lessons in that one. She's got four. Oh, she's on lesson four. She's got, well, she's got answers to. I think that's all I had for you. <clears throat> it makes me think about when Jesus healed the man that was blind and he said, Can you see? And he said, The people look like trees walking. Yes. But I don't know where it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Pam Anderson is saying that she's reminded of when Jesus was healing <clears throat> I think that's where he spit on the ground and made clay and anointed his eyes and he said he could see men as trees and then Jesus spit on the ground again and and he could see more clearly but uh, so Pam's reference is like in the Bible men are connected with trees and uh, you know, physically, we we have a trunk, and we have limbs, and we we talk about our roots are here in Missouri, and so we have a family tree. We so men are like trees in in many ways, and there's many different kinds of trees, but uh, they have similar characteristics. So anyway, that, that's a, a good thought there, uh, Pam, and so we need to be rooted. Uh, by rivers of water, don't we? We need to be connected to the and uh, you know some some trees are rooted deeply and others not so deeply and a lot of times a lot of trees have to be kind of grow in groups. Even uh, you see some some need others to keep uh, keep growing. Yeah, uh, Connie. Well, you know, in a storm, if you go outside. You can tell it's storming because you're seeing the treetops and they're blowing and laying over. Uh-huh. But it's the root. If you if you look at where you're rooted and what you're rooted in, you're not going to freak out because it isn't moving. Uh-huh. Everything else above, uh-huh. when the circumstances can be moving, but you don't, and you don't have to be afraid. Huh. That's good. Yeah. Wow. We're getting real uh, kind of deep here. That's good. All right, so the famous verse, verse 9. We've already quoted it, but it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so there's really two things said about the heart, and really a third, but one is it's deceitful. And so... I heard I heard this in a movie. I forget where I heard it. Just uh, every one of us would say we're honest. We're honest people. And then he said, "But but we all still lie, <laughs> or we want some people to believe something about us that may not be true." 
um, so our heart is deceitful and so we need a new heart and, and really this is talking about our natural heart isn't it because God can give us a new heart that does follow him and does seek after him and and then it says we uh, it's wicked and it even talks about desperately wicked and the thing that kind of uh, resonates with me about that statement is that I, I was talking to a pastor Brian when we first came here not uh, well it's been 10 years ago probably and uh we're talking about uh, someone that we were counseling who was a pedophile. And, uh, you know, both of us just kind of shaking our head like, man, this is wicked. And, and Brian said, you know, if, really, if, if we let ourselves go, we, we could do anything like that ourselves. And uh, so, yeah, in your mind, you think, I could never do that. And and uh, so hopefully uh, none of us ever do uh, those things. But or whatever you consider to be like the most wicked thing, I guess are, we're capable of that. When you, when you think of desperate, uh, and, and I heard this uh most of you probably know uh, Jim, Jim James Dobson of the uh, was it family focus on the family, <clears throat> and he he's still alive. He's an older man now. He's still on the radio some, <clears throat> but he said once that someone's sex drive is second only to someone's desire to live. So. He pictured like a drowning man. You think of a drowning man who's fighting for air, or you think of someone starving to death and or trying to get out of a cage, or whatever you, whatever would be trying to survive. Uh, someone's sex drive is second only to that, and I, I think he's probably true. These are just strong urges and. Um, Anyway, so when you think of uh, our heart is like that, it's deceitful and it's wicked and it's deceitful above all things. But you hear the world always telling you to follow your heart, which... Yeah, Angie's saying... Every time I hear it, it's not a good idea. We're being told to follow our heart. Well, that's horrible advice. (laughs) And so... If your heart's following God, then I you know, do that. Yeah, yeah. as a rule, they're not talking something. about that. <laughs> yeah. People that, you know, we have hope. God is, uh, God can do anything. And he knows us truly inside and out. And so for single people, single adults, God is able to arrest or bind up those urges mm-hmm. and put them in a place that is safe with him. Hmm. It's, you know, but you have to, I believe you have to pray for that. You have to understand that. You have to get yeah. Or else, as a single person, we would, uh, there would be no hope for us. Hmm. When you think about the strength of, yeah. you know, the sexual urges, there would be no hope for us. But he can do that. Amen. Uh, 
So Pam is saying that for the single person that doesn't have the outlet of a spouse, that God can control those feelings and put them in a place where you can find contentment. And I've heard uh, several single people say that even, Pam, to me, that uh, God's given them victory over those things. Yeah, there's no no struggle. There's no inner Mm -hmm. battle within Mm -hmm. where there may be, you know, for a... uh, a married, you know, married. But I, uh-huh. but it, yeah. yeah. It's, it's well, good, real. good. <clears throat> yeah, that that's well said. That's well said. Um, <clears throat> and so, kind of the, my second point here is kind of the third thing that verse nine mentions. That it says, you know, who can know it? Well, our natural heart is only. Uh, it, it is unknowable. I mean, we don't know the depths we could go, but God does. And so, the way He the way He knows our heart is He searches our heart. And uh, it's a little bit hard to define what is our heart, but I think this says it pretty well. The seat, it's the seat of our affections and passions. It, uh, you know, our body has a heart and. So it's not necessarily the, the thing that's beating in our chest when the Bible talks about our heart, but it, it's it's kind of our control center, right? Or uh, and so God searches our heart, and it says He tries our reins. And uh, I bet nobody gets this. What do you what What do you think the word reins is also translated as? Nobody will get this. Mine. That's a good guess. Your mind. The word reigns. That is it. How did you get that? You have a you had help. I have a study Bible. Kidneys. I have your teacher edition, which makes no sense. Right. So so there were some so that this is very intriguing to me. Your your kidney, I think, are kind of toward your lower back, aren't they? You hear of a kidney punch or sucker punch, and you can hurt somebody that way. So maybe the location of it's important. It's our filter. I mean, it's our. It filters. It's our our body filter. But I mean, some of the priests were to when they sacrifice the animals they would sacrifice sometimes the kidneys and anyway I, uh, the thing I read that kind of helped me it, it's just uh, a reference to our inner our inward parts so that uh, so the word kidneys goes in your blank but so God uh, he searches our heart and he tries our reins and I, I don't think it's a direct reference to God is trying our kidneys but I, he's trying our inward parts, and we're to. Uh, anyway, so here here's the example he gives in verse eleven. Somebody read verse eleven for us. As the partridge sitteth on the eggs and, and hatches them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at the end shall be a fool. Okay, 
So we just said our heart is deceitful. When we heard our heart is deceitful, none of us thought about a partridge. <laughs> but that's the example God gives. And I looked up partridge in like Wiki, Wikipedia partridge. Uh, or maybe it's maybe it's in my Bible program, but, but it said sometimes a partridge will steal another bird's egg. So partridges, the thing about partridges is they make their nest on the ground. And it it's kind of saying that people shouldn't, we shouldn't trust man, we shouldn't build our nest on the, but it says this partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not. So it's like they stole eggs, they made their nest on the ground and they they don't hatch and he says people are like that because they get riches by wrong and uh, they leave them in the midst of his days and at the end he's a fool so it's foolish to try to get riches Uh, so my point here is in the context of uh, this deceitful heart he talks about riches and you know I, I talked about sexual sins but the Bible gives the example of of money that they're trying to get money and wealth by wrong and you end up leaving it in the midst of your days and at the end it's uh, foolish to do that it's kind of his point here <clears throat> and so my, my teaching point here is that we need to gain wealth rightfully and build our nest egg for the Lord's glory so uh, I, th- I wonder if that's where the word nest egg comes from from that verse right there we hear about saving for retirement and having our nest egg right there is talking about wealth and an egg and so that could be uh, where that saying came came from I don't know if there's any other thoughts. Uh, <clears throat> we've got we got a that's only half of the study, so we got to press forward. We got 15 minutes. We can do it. So the next thing in verse 12. So verses 12, 13, and 14. There is a reference to healing and salvation here in verse 14. So this is. Uh, Jeremiah is praising the Lord. What I like in verse 12, O glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. So it makes it makes it personal there. He's calling it our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written uh, in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of the living waters. So we all want our name written in the book of life, but these have forsaken the Lord, and their their name's written in the earth. And then he turns in verse 14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. And so that's why I I title that uh, praise. So uh, um, sometimes it's hard for me to come up with a teaching point. The teaching point is more for me, I think, because I feel like each section I should try to communicate what God is teaching me. And so uh, my point here was the eye of the storms of life are a special place to praise our Lord. So I picture Jerusalem is being, getting ready to be destroyed. And Jeremiah is like... 
praising the Lord. It's like, God, you're our sanctuary. You're our hope. You can heal us. You can save us. And so he's praising the Lord in the middle of his storm. And I hope that you feel like that when you're going through struggles that, you know, like... uh, Connie was saying the winds of life are bending these trees and it's even violent, you know, storms. But the root is secure and it's quiet and it's... Isn't the eye of the storm kind of the calm? Yeah. Maybe... Yeah, that's what... God or... Yeah, this eye of the storm, that there is a calm there and... It's also second Chronicles 20 when Jehoshaphat is coming up against him three armies and the they went... To this battle, yes. praising and singing and just giving God all the glory. And when they showed up, everybody's butt was kicked. They were killed. They spent three days picking up it all. Wow. Foils from it. But more than that, at the end, everybody all around them knew that God fought for them. Hmm. So nobody came against them anymore because it's like, wow, God's fighting for them. Huh. Check myself. Huh. So, yeah. <laughs> So, Connie, just for those watching online, communicated uh, Jehoshaphat's battle where they went singing and praising the Lord and he fought their battles for them and the uh, Mennonites or whoever they were... I said Mennonites. I meant Midians. Midianites. I don't think there was any Midianites back then. I meant Midianites. I think it was Mount Seir, and I don't know if it was even the Midianites. I'm sure it wasn't the Mennonites. <laughs> so that's funny. Uh, forgive me. <clears throat> so yeah, thank you, Connie. Good, good comment. And uh, yeah, people, people after that knew that don't mess with Israel because their God fights for them. And you know they were scared. Mm. I mean, yeah. That yeah. They were terrified. Yeah. I mean, he started the prayer. I'm terrified, God. I'm scared, but I know you can do this. Huh. And they did that, being afraid. That's huh. all they knew to do. That's good. Is praise God, and I know what you got in you, mm. and it ain't about what I got mm. in me. It's everything about you. So mm. wow, wow, wow! I'm going in. You really need to be here every week, Connie. I feel like we we didn't move. You're the one that moved. I know. <laughs> but it's lovely and beautiful. Good, good. All right. Well, this next section, 15 through 18, uh, I put it's the heart of a pastor, and uh, the word pastor is only found in two books of our Bible. It's in Jeremiah and it's in Ephesians. And it's uh, more than once in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, Leo and Amita, uh, I want you to tell us if this point is true. Pastor, refer... uh, Well, let me ask you. Well... The word shepherd goes in your blank, and I read that the pa- the Spanish word for shepherd is pastor. Is that true? The Spanish word for shepherd is pastor? Pastor. 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 Mm-hmm. Is shepherd? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Pastor. Pastor de ovejas. Okay. Pastor de ovejas. Okay. Uh-huh. 
ovejas es para el pastor es la ayuda ok so it's like a shepherd so you feed and you you uh, protect the sheep so that that's good so that's what the word shepherd goes in your blank there and so we know the word shepherd is in the Bible many times and <clears throat> how many of you have heard of candid camera so almost all of us <laughs> so the one candid camera that I remember is uh, what, what is his name the leader of candid camera Alan Funt. Alan Funt. There you go. So he was bringing in like college students, like seniors in college, and he was bringing them into his table, and they were he was filming them, but they didn't know it, and he he would uh, he would like go through their uh, majors and see what they were studying and their qualification. He was like you know based on your qualifications. Uh, our team really feels like you're best suited to become a shepherd. And it was just the funniest thing because they tried to pick like the lowest, the lowest, you know, like trash collector. And so they, that was the joke. And so, you know, these college students, these highly educated people, getting ready to go out into the business world, they're being told that they're, they're best suited to become a shepherd. And anyway, that, that was the whole candid camera thing. But So the world kind of thinks that that's a lowly position, but God speaks highly of it, doesn't he? He wants shepherds to lead his people. And God said he took, he took David from following the sheep to become the leader of his people. And uh, I thought it was kind of neat that Sometimes shepherd kind of follow the flock. They're they're looking out ahead and they're kind of following. And you know, you think of the leaders being the and and, and in wartime, you know, the leader does you know go into battle first or they lead from the front sometimes too, I suppose. But anyway, it took David from following the sheep and made him the shepherd of of Israel. So that was kind of neat. So. Um, I gave you several things about uh, shepherds. Uh, this is one thing I read. Is Jeremiah is kind of a street preacher. You know, none of the prophets or the apostles or even Jesus. I mean, Jesus spoke in the temple a few times, but mostly they were just kind of out on the street. And so kind of the concept of a church building is uh, more of a uh, cultural thing uh, for us. But in the Bible, it's more of a a street uh, because he's being told here um, to go out. Maybe it's not there. Maybe it's in this last part. He's to go into the city street or the gates. Does it say there in the verses I'm talking about, 15 through 18, it's talking about... Uh, verse 16 as for me I have not hastened from being a pastor to follow thee neither have I desired the woeful day thou knowest that which came out of my lips was right before thee be not a terror unto me thou art my hope in the day of evil okay so Angie's saying verse 19 okay 
Thus saith, thus said the Lord unto me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people, where by the kings of Judah come in, and by the which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem. And so he's uh, speaking to kings and all that are going in and out of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and uh, w- one thing I want to note here before we leave today, this may be... Yeah, this will be perfect. So it mentions here in these verses, in verse 21, Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. So there's this discussion about the Sabbath day. And uh, I don't want us to just overlook that. I think he's he's telling them, obviously, don't work on the Sabbath day because we're to make it uh, hallowed and to do no work on the Sabbath day. So... But there's something special about the Sabbath day. And I want us to look here. Uh, Let's just keep it in Jeremiah. Hold your place here and go to 25.9. Let's go to 25.9 of Jeremiah. I was going to go to the the second Chronicles is a good one. But uh, who's got 25.9? See you, Pamela. Yep. Pam Anderson, you got it? Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all the nations round about, and will hmm. utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a and in verse 12 also and it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it a perpetual desolation okay so uh, I'll just kind of end with this um I mean, God's keeping track of this. So they were, let's just say, um, let's just put that about there. That was that was about uh, 30 A.D. And so we're we're talking here from uh, from 606. B.C. to uh, 536 B.C. Um, 70 years of captivity, right? This was this was their punishment. They were they were 70 years of captivity in in Babylon, but. what what you may so the way this connects to the Sabbath is for four hundred and ninety years 
for 490 years uh, and we don't do this with farming today I mean we've got fertilizer but, but their deal they were to leave the land rest every seventh year so work the land for six years let it rest for a year well they, they didn't do that for 490 years and God says I'm going to get my Sabbath so he takes them to captivity for 70 years so the land the land rests for 70 years nobody's working that land for 70 years do, do you see why the reason for 70 that there's it's important and th- this even connects it with when Peter says, you know, shall, shall I forgive someone that offends me 70 or seven times? And, G- and Jesus says, no, you should forgive him 70 times seven. 70 times seven is 490. So anyway, there's, there's just a connection. But so here, here's, here's my point. <clears throat> um, maybe we should all do this. Everybody put their hand above their paper. Does anybody see like a shadow of their hand? Now, is your shadow you or is your hand you? Your hand is you, isn't it? And so let's turn to one last verse here and then and I'll, sh- I'll show you what uh, why I even said that. Let's turn to Colossians. Um, so your last blank is the word shadow and we're going to look at Colossians Colossians chapter 2 Colossians 2 let's all go this will be the last thing we look at today this thing about Sabbath is is kind of important Okay, Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new new moon or of the Sabbath days. And then he says, Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so what I wanted to point out just as we close here, and Tom, I don't know if you can catch on the film did you but uh, so every week every week they had these Sabbath days and every month there was new moons and there was there was all these Sabbath days and and what the Bible is saying there is that those Sabbath days are a shadow of things to come so that there's some things to come here this uh there's a Sabbath day coming is what I want to point out is you know God worked six days and he rested the seventh day and that was a day of rest and so he said in his law I want you to rest one out of every seven but all the all these all these uh, Sabbath days are just like that shadow on your paper the, the true Sabbath day is coming this millennium. That's where we're going. That's why I'm saying this. There's a, there's a thousand year day of rest. So that, you know, we live in 2021. This is 4th of July, 2021. And it's 2021 
A.D. Amenio Dimini, the year of our Lord. This is supposedly 2,021 years after Christ was born. And in the Old Testament, there's about 4,000 years. Adam and Eve, according to Usher's chronology, he was born. Uh, he was created in 4004 BC before Christ. Uh, and uh, so there's about 6,000 years of human history recorded. That's my whole point. And and the Bible talks in uh, Revelation 20 about a thousand years where uh, we are going to rule and reign with Christ. And so all those Sabbaths were a picture. And that's why God's like, I'm going to get my Sabbath years out of the land. I'm going to let you guys go into captivity for 70 years because you haven't let my land rest. And so that's the reason for the... I mean, the reason they went there is they're disobedience and their idolatry and all that but he served the purpose of letting the land have its rest and I think that's significant so anyway does that kind of make sense everybody so I wanted to draw that out a little bit and make a point about the Sabbath and uh, you know people people I mean even our country we we rest uh, Saturday and Sunday Saturday is the Sabbath. That's uh, the Ju- uh, um, Judaism. Uh, we talk about Judeo-Christian values, and of course, uh, Christians we we worship the Lord on Sunday because that's the first day of the week, the the day that our Lord was resurrected from the grave. So, but our whole co- our whole country observes Saturday and Sunday because of Judeo-Christian values. So, kind of interesting. Let's uh, let's go, to the Lord, in prayer. Thank you for joining us online, Tom. Thank you for videoing this this morning. We'll uh, have a word of prayer and we'll be go to main service. Lord, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you that Connie could be with us. Lord, we pray uh, uh, for her and her family. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for uh, uh, each person listening online as well as sitting here. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. It's just uh, rich. And Lord, I just uh, pray for Brian now as uh, as he preaches the word. I pray for our. Song service and we can uh, praise you and uh, truly think about you as we're singing and uh, Lord we love you we uh, ask you to dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus name Amen Amen Let me shut this off here we're at 50 58 minutes